Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. When I wake up in the morning, love, and the sunlight hurts my eyes. Not exactly a lovely day for rookie cornerback Riley Moss. Riley Moss, a core muscle surgery reported basically as a, what we call a, a sports hernia, uh, has to have surgery. The uh, the rookie for the Broncos, third-round pick, 83rd pick overall, will miss uh, a month from that injury. And uh, here, here was basically the, the, ans- the answer for Sean Payton when asked about that, or, uh, specifically the injury update. Quote, he had a core muscle repair done by Dr. Myers in Philadelphia. It's going to set him back probably about four weeks. It's kind of a sports hernia. It's not too uncommon. He had that surgery yesterday, and it went well. He'll be back here next week. But all along, we were thinking about more of a veteran cornerback we had talked about that coming out of our meetings last weekend. We signed a Fabian yesterday, and we're right at 90. In other words, 90 players. And we talked about it was Fabian Moreau. Fabian Moreau, veteran, uh, specifically said there, he played quite a bit of snaps last year in New York. He's smart. One of those players know exactly what you're getting. There's a physicality to how he plays. He's excelled in the kicking game. We looked at him for a while now. Had a lot of good feedback from places he's been. He had a good visit. His workout was good. We felt good about him and especially good about his football IQ. So the Broncos uh, lose a, a rookie but add a veteran to that mix. To, to my mind, when you have a guy, uh, and I, I'm familiar with Moreau, he's, he's obviously you know bounced around a little bit. He's not a star. But I, I think the, the read on it is right. You're talking about a guy that is uh, basically knows what he's supposed to do on a football field and is a willing and, and solid contributor on special teams. To my mind, you simply cannot have enough veteran cornerbacks uh, for guys that can still play the position especially when you're leaning so hard on a young player in Damari Mathis to start opposite of Patrick Sertan. Well, we know this. He, he will now be the unchallenged starter opposite Sertan. Uh, and I, I I didn't think it would turn out any was, differently, yeah. especially in the preseason. And uh, Mathis, I, I thought Mathis is fine. I did too. Uh, during the second half of last season. And in fact, I think if you didn't, know any better it would have been hard strictly based on the second half of the season to say that there was a huge gap between Patrick Sutan on one side and Damari Mathis on the other side during the second half of the season and uh, Sutan was not great during the second half of the season he had a much better first half it was much more impactful um, some of the tackling issues which uh, I guess have uh, gotten back to Patrick Sutan uh, mm-hmm. were more apparent during the second half of the season. He missed more tackles. He uh, seemed a little more tentative uh, about engaging that way. Uh, it's, 
it's it's a it's a four letter word in sports, and it's spelled S O F T. And the Broncos have been soft on both sides of the ball, uh, certainly in the interior, for a long, long time. So guys, even if they play in the defensive secondary, who are willing to hit and know what they're doing, even if they're journeymen, and he is a classic journeyman, Mm -hmm. uh, knows what he's doing. If he has to play in a pinch, he can play. I think we know that uh, Williams is the third corner, uh, the slot corner, who will get the most playing time. Um, I think it's more apparent at the cornerback position who will be the number three guy than it is at uh, wide receiver, certainly at the moment. Yeah. As to who will be oh, the yeah. number three guy. Yeah, obviously. And that that's we've talked about that before, that uh, I've, I've argued for a while you have to have 12. There's really 12 starters in the NFL. Your slot corner is is a position in which if you don't have a starting caliber player, you're in trouble. Yeah. So you have those three. Uh, Riley Moss expected to be there, and then uh, you know we'll look at it in a bit. But you, you brought up the point about Sertan. And earlier this week, he was... Uh, this is a guy that's somewhat, uh, let's say, laconic, doesn't talk a lot, uh, doesn't really have any interest in talking a lot, lets his game do the talking. Smart player. Very well, smart player. Very smart. And he addressed the uh, point that you made about potentially missing tackles, about what uh, Sean Payton had thought, and uh, maybe the most revealing comment I think I have ever heard from Pat Sertan as a Denver Bronco. Yeah, Sean, Sean told me uh, he wanted me to – Get some tackles in, bucking my chin strap up before I get the uh, before I get the cover. But you know I me, mean? I like to tackle. Um, you know, especially in the league nowadays. You know, you got to tackle um, on the perimeter, and um, you know that I got to enforce that. You know, what I mean, just tackling on the perimeter. You know, um, making 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 some noise. You know, out there on the field, just by tackling, not just a cover, but tackling as well too. So there you have it. He's aware. Message of- sent. And the coach did send the message. Uh, so it isn't just a figment of my imagination or anyone else's. And it's also there are a lot it. of people who had that criticism of Sertan. The biggest drop-off they saw in his game was his tackling uh, last year in the second half of the year. And I think in part for that reason, people weren't nearly as scared to throw in his direction. It seemed like during the second half of the year. Now, maybe it had something to do with the quarterbacks that were playing the second half of the year being Better, better, yeah. Than the quarterbacks they played during the first half. I mean, you got Jimmy Garoppolo, who was pretty much lost mm-hmm. early in the season when the Broncos played the Forty ers and of course you had the Zach Wilson experience uh, for the Jets, yeah. and the Jets still won the game because the Broncos couldn't score a touchdown, sixteen to nine. But Wilson wasn't very good. The second half of the year it was hard to find too many lame quarterbacks. On the schedule. And even when they played at Tennessee, Tannehill had a pretty good game, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a bad year, Tannehill played pretty well against the Broncos. So you, you run into a spot where, and and not only do I like the awareness, and I wasn't worried about that with Sertan, but it also kind of gives you an idea that Sean Payton is, if you were questioning, I don't, know, well, I don't even know why you would anymore, uh, how willing he is to go up to players. I mean, Pat Sertan may be the best player the Denver Broncos have, uh, considered by ESPN to be the top corner in the league. And right on the early parts of training camp, Sean Payton challenges him and says, hey, you need to go tackle. Good. Say, buckle your chin strap before you get to cover, as Sertan said it. And uh, 
Good for him. And uh, Sertan receives it exactly as you'd hope. Okay. Okay. I can do that. I got the message. That's a good sign, too. But, yeah, adding uh, Moreau makes sense. I think all of a sudden, you look there, you have uh, the three starters in Sertan and Mathis and Williams on the inside. Uh, you have uh, added Moreau now, who I think will probably make this team, but he's also in competition with uh, Tremont Smith, who has some familiarity with Sean Payton. But also, interestingly, uh, Jaquan McMillan, who the, Bron- the Broncos added as well, McMillan had an opportunity to talk with our own Cody Rourke. And if you haven't had an opportunity to see Cody's new show on YouTube, Good Morning Broncos, you should check it out. But he talked a little bit with McMillan, and McMillan gave an answer about uh, preparation and study over necessarily going with instinct. Come out here every, each and every day, even though I was on practice squad, just trying to get better each and every day. In a meeting room, a lot of guys... If, you, if you're not on the, the 53, they're not really trying to work or pay attention. I, I stayed in tune with everything. Shoot, I was still doing scouting reports. Even though I knew I wasn't playing, I was still doing scouting reports, still studying film, uh, still talking with the older guys, asking them questions. And then when my time was here, I was ready. Well, that's the kind of preparation I think that Peyton expects and the opportunity is going to be there for McMillan to make this roster too. Uh, the, the Moss injury hurts because you're talking about a very athletic guy that the Broncos met at a quality pick on. I think when you're looking at the first three rounds of a draft, those are the kind of picks in which you expect to find guys who eventually will, will play significant snaps on your team, if not be starters. And when you lose a third rounder at a position, you wanted to have some depth that uh, that stings. Now uh, again, Riley Moss is not done for the year. This is not a Tim Patrick situation, but the problem is when you're a rookie and at Iowa, they play, exclusively zone defense. Almost exclusively. Almost, yeah, you're right. Just almost, not Right, sort of, I mean, yeah. we're talking you're about right. the difference between I used an absolute, 95 not an absolute. percent, 99 Yeah, they're, they're a zone defense team and not a partial zone. I mean, they play zone. No. And Riley Moss has a lot of things to pick up, and unfortunately, he's going to miss all of the rest right. of training camp. He's and, probably and going to miss all brutal. of the preseason. That's perfect. So trying to catch up and get significant snaps for a rookie when you right. miss all that time means that you won't see Riley Moss, I don't think, until the, you know, week 10 or beyond position on the field. I think as a rookie that allows for some camp time missed and doesn't preclude you having a good year is the running back. Running back. Position. Yep. That's the one that is that that's about the least the amount of translation one. that you have to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if if you're missing large portions or an, uh, even worse, an entire training camp, at almost any other position, if you're a rookie, it, it does not bode well. Now, uh, Greg Dulcich, for the amount of time he played last year, was reasonably productive, but because of the injuries, he wasn't able to really get all that close to 500 yards and pass receptions. Right. Now, we know rookie tight ends don't get to 1,000 yards uh, no. very often. It's a very you rare thing on in one the hand. history of the NFL. Mm-hmm. I think Mike Ditka was the first one he was yep. in his rookie year back in the 60s with the Chicago Bears, which was strange because the Bears weren't famous for throwing the ball a lot. Right. Uh, were very conservative offensively. That's how good Mike Ditka was as a player. Mike Ditka, for, for those in a who non-passing world, only right. remember him as a coach and aren't old enough to have oh, ever seen him reinvented play at all. the tight end position. He was a much, much, much 
better player than he was a coach, and he was a pretty good coach. I'd say he's a pretty uh, good coach. Yeah. A, a great coach, no. Uh, and I'd even go beyond pretty good. A good coach. Good coach, but not a great coach. He was a great player. And, uh, you know, people didn't like it when he got into the Hall of Fame over John Mackey. I saw them both play. Mike Ditka didn't have Johnny Unitas thrown on the ball. <laughs> John Mackey had Johnny Unitas thrown on the ball. That helps. Mike Ditka was a much better Ditka still holds Mackey. the record, by the way. In 14 games, 1,076 yards and 12 touchdowns, by far the best season by a rookie tight end. Kyle Pitts is the only other tight end to have exactly. a thousand yard rookie season. Exactly. And he had injuries last year and he didn't get close. Right. Uh, but he was able to do it in his rookie year in 17 games, three more than Ditka yet still did not Mitch still came 50 yards short of Ditka. And he had one touchdown. Ditka had 12. The only other guys that have even come close, Jeremy Shockey in 2002 with his, 894 and great uh, touchdown numbers by Keith Jackson of the Eagles in right. 88, six touchdowns. Right. And going back to Charlie Young, also but, the but Eagles. Ditka could block, too. And John and, Mackey in 63. Right, right. Now, I, I would look at, for those of you a little bit younger, remember Mark Bavaro of the Giants. Right. Uh, Broncos fans remember prime. him quite well, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. And we saw quite a bit of him in his prime because mm-hmm. Broncos and Giants played fairly often including one memorable Super Bowl yeah, that didn't half, go awfully half well. Half of a memorable the Super Bowl. The Broncos' uh, point of view. For for at least the second half, it did not go well. First half was okay. Mike Ditka was everything that Mark Bavaro was. And when you think of Mark Bavaro, you're thinking of the Monday night game against San Francisco where he ran through Ronnie Lott, about five other 49er players. Right. Hanging on to him and went not for just an extra five or six yards, but went for like 20, 25 more yards, dragging these people, including Lot, along with him. Ditka was better than that as a receiver. And I suspect he was also a better blocker than Bavaro, although Bavaro was, was certainly a responsible blocker. I mean, Bavaro was on two Super Bowl title teams. Right. Bavaro was terrific. And, you know, we, Look at, you know, Gronk now, and I'd say Ditka was was everything Gronk was and a better blocker. Ditka was sensational. If Ditka played today, there wouldn't be any question. Travis Kelsey could step aside because Travis Kelsey is a responsible blocker now. He'd be Travis Kelsey, George Kittle. He's a better better all-around tight end than either Kelsey or Kittle, and they're the two best tight ends in the business today. D- Ditka was uh, sensational. But, uh, you know, I I think the Broncos probably can play a lot more two tight end offense this year, and they will go with heavier formations this year more often yeah. than they have in recent years. I mean, that's a given. Uh, the, the, there the aren't a lot of the, givens going into the season, yeah. but that much you know. They they they've gone. They're going to go with heavy formations. They're going to use your uh, Troutman guys, the guys that are out there to block. Um, when you're talking about production, man hurts. I guess is uh, man hurts as well. Good. In so. the second uh, second year, if you're thinking about the leap uh, that you can make in the second year to get into the top 25 tight ends all time in receiving in their second year, that bar is at 747 yards. Uh, is that a number that you believe that? Greg Dulcich could hit. If healthy, yeah. Sure. I do, too. Sure. I do, too. 
uh, and that, that I think he'll hit it and surpass it. That would be a, a bit of a difference maker there because when you're talking about in the second year, uh, guys that have had those I, big years, I do think he's their most reliable receiver. Now, he would be better if the Broncos have a legitimate deep threat, and I'm not sure they've got. And, and I don't know if they did before Tim Patrick got hurt because it wasn't Tim Patrick. Oh no! I don't no, believe this no, team no, had a legitimate definitely wasn't threat. Tim Patrick, but I do is that think, where Marvin Mims I, is I, supposed I, to be. I do think that when Dulcich came back last year, it was one of the few stretches in which KJ Hamler was healthy, and I'm saying he was somewhat productive. He caught seven passes all year, but he caught seven passes for 165, and the threat of the deep ball right. with Hamler was there. That I mean, opens he, up he, that he, middle of the he field. He did average 23 yards a catch. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't going to make a big deal about it. He only caught seven passes. But it did open up the middle of the field, the short to intermediate zones for Dulcich. And the only time Russell Wilson seemed comfortable throwing anyone the football between the numbers was when he was throwing it to Greg Dulcich. Yeah, and I, that that obviously needs to continue if you're talking about this offense diversifying in the way that the Broncos need it to do so. And, and that's going to make it very interesting as practices go along and they get ready for the first preseason game because uh, this team, when it comes to... That that side of it, you know, you're talking about the the offensive side that the trying to find that balance. Depending on the health of Javante Williams, that makes things uh, challenging as well. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. How the running game can augment that as well. But I want to remind you, of course, you know, yeah, you can hear it. That's the sound of football coming back. So now is the time to place your preseason bets with our friends at SuperBook Sports. SuperBook is the most trusted name in Vegas, and now you can use their promo code Mile High to score up to two hundred fifty dollars. With their first bet bonus, and that means win or lose, they'll match your first bet up to $250 with the promo code MILEHIGH. Don't miss out on this football season. Win some money with Superbook Sports and the promo code, easy one to remember, MILEHIGH. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Javante Williams uh, not practicing today, finding himself in the uh, in the management stage in which the, Sean Payton made it very clear with players who were needing to recover from injury. That was going to be part of the equation. How important is he coming back? How early does he have to come back? How impactful does he have to be? Is there maybe more talent in that running back room than we've thought about? We'll discuss it next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Okay, we'll get back to the Denver Broncos in a moment, but the Colorado Rockies uh, had their home game today. A matinee, of course, as you get on uh, Rock Hump Days. Thanks, Danny Bailey. Before headed out to facing the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, for the weekend series, and then they will also take on the Brewers. I mean, this is a long trip, Sandy. They have coming up ten game road trip against the uh, three against the Cards, three against the Brewers, and then four in L.A. against the Dodgers. Uh, not that it matters for the Rockies in the well, end, whether it, they but, but this, well or this not, current but. stretch, which will continue with the Cardinal series, what is it? Four or five series in a row against losing teams, including the San Diego Padres, uh, by yes, the way, correct? Who are now fifty four and fifty five, even with a win today. Yep, even though and St. Louis, of course, back in last place, 
shockingly, in the National League Central, even Pittsburgh's passed him. And so, uh, again, 47-61 and 61 against 42-66 and 66 now mm-hmm. uh, for the Rockies, who I believe may be either back on a 100-loss pace or 99 losses because they were 98 losses based on their current winning percentage going into the game today. They were on the current percentage pace scheduled to finish 64 and 98 before the loss today. So the loss today puts their percentage back around 390, I think, and brings them right up against 99, 100 losses. Yeah. So they're well within range. And after this upcoming series with the Cardinals, there's going to be a stretch where they're playing nothing but winning teams for a while. The Rockies are three and a half games out of second to last in the National League. The Nationals at 46 to 63, that's 422, 24 and a half games out of the Atlanta, behind the Atlanta Braves who were running away with things. But the Rockies at 42 and 66, you had it out right, Sandy, 389 is the percentage. Okay. 28 out. They are three and a half games out of anything but worst in the whole National League. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is a disaster. Um, attendance, by the way, interesting in the last couple of series. Now, granted, I've made the argument before, the Rockies don't really sell baseball. They see Colorado summer. But the... And and you said they had discounted tickets. Yeah, the week, the weekend series against Oakland, good numbers, 37,000 on Friday, a terrific 45,000-person crowd on Saturday, in which they lost 11-3. Sunday, 31,000. But this series, Monday, 25,000. Tuesday, 27,000. Oddly, today, the matinee game, 28, the biggest turnout that series, and that's against a, a Padres team that they may be under 500, but a lot of star power, and a lot of that was uh, on display again as, uh, let's see, the, the Padres won 11-1. to one. Uh, They had 14 hits. They had four home runs, two by Gary Sanchez, one by Fernando Tatis Jr., and another by Juan Soto, who now has three in the last two games He's starting against to the up. Rockies. Yeah. And, and you know what? Well, uh, They yeah. went into action today only five games out of a playoff spot. Yeah. And so they, they're in it. And they yep. did uh, or didn't do things at the deadline. They didn't sell off. They, they, they still think they can make the playoffs. And, and, they should. and I think if you're within five games yeah, you are of in a it. playoff spot, you're, you're in, in it. it. And that would be Miami, uh, Arizona, the Cubs, and San Diego. And, and the three current wildcard teams, uh, I believe, are San Francisco, Philadelphia, and Milwaukee. But Miami, Arizona, the Cubs, and San Diego, all within five games. Uh, the Mets are seven out. That's probably too far gone. And the Mets sold off uh, their two future Hall of Fame pitchers. Um, over in the American League, uh, very similar. You've got Tampa Bay, Houston, Toronto, but Boston only a game and a half out of the playoffs. Angels three out. Yankees three and a half out. Seattle three and a half out. I think of those four teams chasing for a playoff spot, uh, the Yankees the weakest team of the four. The, the three of the four are pretty good and playing well right now. The Yankees are going nowhere. The the Rockies, uh, everything goes wrong here. I mean, I, I feel bad for Kyle Freeland, but he wasn't good today. Kyle Freeland gave up seven hits, uh, four earned runs. He did strike out six, but he coughed up three home runs, including the, to the very first bat of the game in House Young Kim. Yeah. Uh, it hit a 425-foot bomb to start off the game. So Freeland drops. Freeland's uh, ERA goes to 4.86 on the year and the record to a 
ghastly, four and twelve. Yeah, uh, they weren't going to get to eleven anyway. But the Rockies hitting did not help. The Rockies had four total hits. Yeah, and um, four walks and fifteen strikeouts. <laughs> fifteen Ks. Unbelievable. Uh, for those four hits. Two of the extra base variety, uh, Nurickson Profarm and Brenton Doyle with uh, doubles, but uh, that was it. They left nine on base. Uh, the team, the team runners uh, in score, the, the you know runners in scoring position. The Rockies give this. The Padres had nine. They went three for nine. Runners in scoring position. The Rockies went zero oh, for eleven. Eleven. They had four hits and four walks. So and they went zero oh, for had eleven. More people in scoring position yeah. than the Padres. Yes. The Padres are just busy nuking it out of the stadium. When you hit the ball over the wall, you're moving yourself. Yeah, out of you're scoring position. position. You're, you're, you're doing it yourself. Uh, it, it got out of hand when the Rockies coughed up, uh, and this is not a, uh, a typo. This is the uh, the final inning. Daniel Bard came, uh, came in to start the ninth inning. In one-third of an inning, three hits, a walk, Four runs allowed on two home runs. He's he's hit a bad patch again. Connor's, Connor Seabold came in to relieve him, and he gave up three more runs yeah. in two-thirds of an inning. The Rockies gave up a total of seven runs in the well, ninth. Well, it, it sounds like the bullpen is collapsing, and they, uh, they did trade hand. Mm-hmm. The other day. They did to Seattle, joining Pierce Johnson. Uh, the, the Rockies' bullpen in the final three innings yeah, had three walks yeah. and two strikeouts. Starting pitching was bad today. Not going to get Early it done. Pitching was bad today, and it's a bad uh, team. It's a bad Rockies team looking like a bad team. They struck out a ton, and they're a bad team. And I now here's, I, the, here's I think, the part. I think it is a virtual certainty that they will lose 100 games. I do too. Um, especially since you, you've got the three division leaders, you've got the three wild cards at six, you've got ten of the 15 teams who can harbor realistic playoff hopes Mm -hmm. if they aren't absolute locks to be in the playoffs. You've got 10 of the 15 teams, and over in the American League, you have 10 of the 15 teams. So the teams that are out of it are the Mets, the Pirates, the Cardinals, the Nationals, and the Rockies in the National League, Cleveland, Detroit. Cleveland had a no-hitter thrown at them last night by Valdez in Houston. Uh, Cleveland, Detroit, the White Sox, Kansas City, and Oakland. So, you know, it was, it was pretty obvious who the sellers were, were going to be and who the buyers were going to be. And it, it, it's unusual. You've got – you don't have, other than Atlanta and, and maybe Baltimore, you, you don't have teams having great years, but you have a lot of teams having decent to good years. In other words, this is – great for baseball uh, you, you this is it's exactly what you baseball. hope yeah the, and here's what's good for baseball too remember we talked about payrolls mm-hmm. recently and i mentioned that only five of the top 10 biggest spending teams are within a game of a playoff spot yeah five of the 10 teams spending the least are within a game. But you also have spenders so, that are out of the blue. The Texas Rangers, for example, one of the big spenders. Now, they right. are tied for first with Houston. Right. But well, then well, again, that's a, that those are fresh okay. bases on the scene. Okay. So that's not... That's he, here's me. another way to look at baseball payroll. 
three highest spending teams in baseball going into action today. What, Yankees, Mets, Dodgers, right? Those are the three. Mets, Yankees, Mets. and Padres. Padres. That's right, the Padres this year. Okay. okay. Going into today, 158 wins combined. Teams 27, 28, and 29 in payroll spending. Baltimore, Tampa Bay, Pittsburgh. 180 wins. Wow. 22 more wins by the teams, three of the four lowest spending teams. 22 more wins than the three highest spending teams this year in Major League Baseball. And and we've talked about that. I mean, if you've watched baseball at all, you've seen how dominant the Atlanta Braves have been. They're winning at a 651 clip, which is They are not ludicrous. a big spending team, though. But. Boy, give They're it to not in the top three. Anyway. Baltimore's Baltimore six seventeen. Baltimore's twenty seventh. Yeah, spending. they're at a six seventeen winning percentage. I mean, they are. That's lights out. And, uh, pretty remarkable. You know, stuff. it's I, it's I love this. it's a great story, and I I I love the Orioles ballpark. So I, oh, you know, I was one of yeah. the. Uh, I went to one of the early games ever at Camden Yards because uh, we happened to be in Baltimore during that time, and I fell in love with it, and I'm still in love with it, and. Uh, hope to go back again. I've uh, been uh, across the parking lot at the football stadium a lot more than I've been back to Camden Yards. H-O-K, uh, uh, apart from the one Camden Yards. The yeah. Camden Yards made yeah. such a splash. City of yeah. Denver contracted them to build that, Coors that, Field. That's right. And and Camden Yards is great. And Camden Yards, I, I hope Camden Yards will be in place 50 years from now. Because I... I it's a, it looks I, instantly classic. It's, it's an instant classic. And quite frankly, Coors Field, the same. Give it and to, I hope give it to Coors Field company. is there 50 years from now. There's no reason it should The be. AL playoffs, if they started today, would Just be like Baltimore. Fenway. It would I mean, be Fenway's over 100 years old. Yeah, yeah uh, Wrigley, too. Uh, Baltimore, Minnesota, Texas, Tampa, Houston, Toronto. That would be the AL playoff field right now. Can you believe that? Well, yeah. Now, I, I, I understand uh, Bo Bichette just went out. But fortunately, for Dodge. Toronto very serious injury they were concerned yeah. about a more oh, significant yeah, yeah. injury and that but, turned out not to be the you case. know it, it, it they're only a game and a half of yeah. the red sox coming into the yeah. action today and i you know the red sox have beaten them like a drum this year which is a turnaround from last year the red sox are the strangest team in major league baseball they struggle with bad teams and beat up on good teams or at least teams who are supposed to be good like toronto and the yankees right uh teams are supposed to be good but uh it, it it just it it saddens me that in twenty of the thirty major league baseball cities, fans are having a ton of fun. Now they may be critical of their mm-hmm. teams, and and I read the Boston papers every day, and they're killing the Red Sox for not doing anything at the trade deadline. I may bloom is a general manager there. Red Sox out by, of the, Tampa by the way, Red Sox get Toronto in the weekend series this yes, weekend. Yes, in. Boston. And in case you in, like in interesting games tonight, if you get if you're like me and you can't and there is a chance. Kind of BTV, you got Baltimore and and uh, Tampa going. There, there is a chance I'll be back in Vermont, so uh, I will be able to pick up Nesson and Toronto, pardon, pardon. and uh, I will be able to see Toronto and Boston this weekend. There is a chance that Trevor Story will return to the Boston lineup at shortstop. He has apparently uh, been uh, at shortstop playing. Yes. Uh, in his rehab, double A and now triple A, for the last uh, few days, and he's been hitting like crazy, and he apparently is uh, very comfortable with the throwing arm. Yes, 
playing shortstop. Now, the Red Sox have a tremendous prospect at shortstop who will be ready in a year or two. And at that point, Story will almost certainly go back to second base. Alex Cora today says Story will not be activated on Friday, at least. Uh But uh, But maybe. But it's it's got to be getting close if you're getting those questions, obviously. Here's the one silver lining if you're a And and it was uh, good for Story. uh, Trevor Story's a tough guy. And I hope he's not coming back too soon. Yeah, but all boy. indications are that the arm is sound. Well, he's mashing the ball. And he's, the he is he's really the hitting. Cover off of it. Yeah. He is really hitting. And uh, the Red Sox have had abominable shortstop play this year. Uh, one of the reasons they got rid of Hernandez, who is now back with the Dodgers. But he is a tough guy. And when that injury uh, was properly diagnosed and he had the surgery feeling was he'd be out for the whole year and here it is in the earliest days of august and they're talking about maybe even at some point this weekend early next week before the first week of august is out activating trevor's story and that that would be a remarkably quick recovery from the type of injury that would normally sideline even a second baseman forget about a shortstop Mm -hmm. For an entire baseball season. For the Rockies, if you're looking for what would be a, a good sign, it, it, it's it's this. It is that the lineup today, Jerks and Profar is 30, uh, ended up being an, you know, on a one-year deal, ended up uh, at DH, and Austin wins the backup to LSDS. They don't have any young catchers. Uh, wins is a journeyman at 32. But uh, uh, the rest of the lineup, here's what you had today. Uh, Elaris Montero at first, Brendan Rogers at second, Ezekiel Tovar at short, Ryan McMahon at third. You go to the outfield, you have Nolan Jones in left, Brendan Doyle in center, and Michael Tolia in right. The Rockies are and at Chris least. Chris Bryant's still on the deal. Well, yeah. Injured. But the Rockies are at least list uh, finding themselves doing what they need to do. You have to put the young guys out there. You have to play them. You have to let them take their lumps. So they can find out if these guys are really going to be able to come through it and be major leaguers or not. And the only way to do it is to let them play. And this team is going nowhere. That's the kind of lineup the Rockies should be feeling, fielding on a daily basis the rest of the way. Period. Uh, if Chris Bryant comes back, great. You don't need jerks and pro far. He's not coming back. Uh, put Chris Bryant at DH whether he wants it or not, and that's where he gets to play. These other guys need to play. They need to be on the field and at the plate. Put the kids out there. And, and by and the way, I, I want to say something and, and talk about story. Say something about Brendan Rodgers, too. That could have been an injury. It was expected to be. For the whole year, and he won play, and he's back again. Early days of August, and uh, he's over back four today with three K's, but every every day. But his uh, way back. Brendan Rodgers is a a good Major League Baseball second baseman. So uh, bad for the Rockies uh, present for sure, and maybe also bad for the Rockies near term future. But at least at a point they seem to be a little. Well, I like more him at second accepted. short. I, I mean, we have to be thankful for. Small, yeah, uh, comforts. And I also here. think Nolan right. Jones is going to stick. And 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 Nolan Jones can hit. All right, so you got and a corner, plays, corner outfielder who can hit. And you've got Doyle's a heck of a defender uh, in the center, middle. But I'm not sure I know Diaz hit. will be 33 next year. Yeah, but it comes off. Uh, will be coming off a very good year. So as I say, up the middle, uh, very good defensively with Doyle in center. Right. Mm-hmm. And you do have a corner outfielder who can hit, 
and Tovar's improving offensively. Uh, Rodgers may not show a lot offensively this late in the season after missing right. uh, so much time, but well over 100 games, of course. And yet, defensively, he's pretty good. That, I think, will get better. Uh, they still don't have enough power. Um, the Ryan McMahon we've seen for, what, two months, maybe even a little longer mm-hmm. than that, has been the Ryan McMahon right. I thought we'd see yeah. all year. I thought of all the Rockies, he had the chance to have 35, 40 home runs, 110, 120 RBIs. He won't reach those figures, but his OPS is well over 800. Last time I looked anyway, I don't think he's been in a slump recently. Uh, so, you know, I thought it'd be closer. Maybe the OPS would be close to 850, uh, 850 playing his games at Coors. But he looks, but he looks, but, but he right looks again. better at the plate. Yeah, looks yeah. better at the plate. And now he can play him at third base. He's, you know, he he's he's funny. He he has these games where it doesn't look like he knows what he's doing at third base, but otherwise he's fine. He's not Nolan Arenado, but he's fine defensively. He got an excellent defensive shortstop in Tovar. Rogers is a good second baseman defensively, and first base. Frankly, I don't have any idea, but but this kid is the uh, along with Gomber, the remnants from the Arenado deal that are still <laughs> considered possibilities with the Rockies. <laughs> possibilities, and they may be able to help. Did Even if they aren't helping a lot right now. The Colorado Buffaloes get out of the Pac-12 while uh-huh. they're getting is good. Uh, what does it mean for the uh, – they seem to have shaken some things loose, put it that way. Realignment back on the blocks, the latest in college football's mad scramble to consolidate into one ginormous, unmanageable conference next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. When the University of Colorado jumped from the Pac-12 to the Big 12, something that I think was in the offing, so you basically did everything but tell the Pac-12 they'd do it unless they got a number they liked. They got no number because there is no deal yet for the Pac-12, so you left and, and got into the Big 12. Arizona now, is, as we told you here uh, a little bit back, Arizona seems to be the likeliest fit. It appears that they are the likeliest fit. Uh, to jump to the Big 12, turning it into a whew, one heck of a basketball conference. But, uh, it was already the best know, eight but, out of the last 10 years. Oh. But here is Pete Thamel's lead today uh, in his piece entitled Big Ten Explorers Possible Expansion Amid mm-hmm. Pac-12 Instability. And um, if you're on ESPN.com, you can hear Paul Feinbaum for 52 <laughs> seconds go off <laughs> on uh, – how we need to start shoveling the dirt and he's right. on this league, he's this right. league being the Pac-12. Uh, the Big Ten's exploration of potential expansion, which the league generally acknowledged Wednesday, underscores the fragility of the overall collegiate landscape and casts a pall over the future of the Pac-12. 
In the wake of a Yahoo Sports report Wednesday, the Big Ten has begun exploratory discussions about potential additions. The Big Ten said in a statement, it's also the commissioner's job to keep conference chancellors and presidents informed about new developments as they occur. Right. (laughs) I think all the chancellors and presidents are probably aware by now that Colorado has left uh, the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is uh, dying a not-so-slow death. Uh, The statement, according to Thamel, hints at the instability in the Pac-12, which lost Colorado to the Big 12 last week. The league was presented a primarily Apple streaming deal Tuesday that was met with (laughs) tepid reactions because of issues with exposure and guaranteed money. That leaves nine schools pondering their options, along with an uncertainty around the Pac-12 that prompted the Big Ten to begin formal due diligence. Sources confirmed to ESPN the Big Ten's discussions are centered on Washington and Oregon, sources told ESPN. Over at The Athletic, there is there was also in that discussion, they added that Cal and Stanford in that, basically operating with two thought process, would you like to expand by two to get to 16, or would you like to say, the, or, or I'm sorry, they're at 16, would you like to get two, get to 18, or would you like to say the heck with it? Let's get four teams in and have 20. And if that were the case, Cal and Stanford would move. I mean, you're talking about USC and UCLA gone, Colorado gone, Arizona one foot out the door, Oregon and Washington with one foot out the door. They had it before uh, the Buffs oh, and, no. and the and uh, the absolutely. Wildcats were looking at it. And so, I mean, let's go back and look. I mean, let's look at the Pac-12 right now, and I, I get it. I, I CU has a, and when you're talking about football or basketball, they have a national championship. It was now at this point, you know, 30 years ago. I get it. Big A. But. Basketball, or and let, let's for the moment assume that Arizona is going to move, which I believe they are, because Arizona we know is is one uh, in the basketball tournament before, not football national championship. Sure. So who's left? ASU. Is Arizona State ever won a national championship in basketball or football? No. Okay. Uh, how about Cal? No. Okay. Uh, UCLA. We know they have, but they're leaving. CU leaving. Oregon. Big money, I get that. If they ever won a right. national championship in basketball or football, oh, also no. Oregon State, right. also no. Though they do have a baseball one, Oregon State. Yeah. Good for you, Beavers. Uh, USC, as we know, yes, but they're gone. Stanford? It's been a while if that's the case. But Utah? Washington? Washington State? Conference of Champions? Well, uh, Not anymore. No, not anymore. And... I think the the talk of the ACC and the Pac-12 merging uh, may not be practical, but I don't know what other option either conference has. Reading today that Florida State is unhappy with the revenue distribution in the ACC and wants out. The ACC is in better shape than the Pac-12, but I think Florida State and Clemson, certainly, from a football standpoint, Clemson wants to go to the SEC. And there has been an argument to be made uh, that, that's getting made today. Stuart Mandela over the Athletic argued that perhaps the only way to save both of those conferences right. is to merge. Right. And I mean exactly. merge immediately. Get the ACC and Immediately, if not sooner. <laughs> if not sooner. Yeah. And, and as you argued, you're talking about really, you said it yourself, Sandy, 
He said that soon enough there will be a Big Three. Yeah. Oh, SEC, I, I think Big so. Twelve, and I, and I, Big I, I Ten, so. and and uh, in, in the in a different order there, SEC number one, Big Ten number uh, two, Big Twelve number three. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. a, a, the ACC is somewhat behind that because at least the ACC does look like it's um, capable of surviving this transition. The Pac-12 does yeah. not. Yeah. I think Feinbaum's right. Uh, you can, I, I think Feinbaum's right. Too. Yeah, it, it's over. Pac-12 is done. It's yeah. it's history. Everyone's just going to start scrambling for the exits, and. That makes things really intriguing. Uh, Give CU credit once again, getting ahead of it. You don't want to be one of these teams. You don't want to be, uh, it looks like if Arizona gets uh, into the Big 12, it looks like Utah that's got a basically, a, quite frankly, the championships, a very respectable football team and a very oh, respectable yeah. basketball team. Yes. And now they're the guys with their face pressed up against the window, hoping someone will let them in. And so give CU credit for while they had the leverage, they're utilizing it right. before they get stuck in a position right. like that. CU's got a nice basketball program. And as I said last week, they're the buzziness yeah. Yeah. football program oh, yeah, they in have, America. Oh, they have all the hype. I didn't mean they're the best or even close what is, to you know, Just as an aside for a moment here, what, what would it mean for the buffs? If they don't make a bowl, and you and I, quite frankly, I, I'm not going to rule it out, but I think they're more likely I, than I, not I, to I miss think so. it. So I, I mean, I think it's, I think they're uh, probably going to get to 40, five, sixty that, that they get to six. Uh, I, I, I'm saying five. That's my right guess. Now, is it's and five. I think that's, I think pretty that's pretty optimistic. Five I, and seven. Over I my friends at Superbook, it is three and a half three and is and the half. over. I, I feel they'll get to five. So I'm, I, I would I think take it's quite the a bit over, over it, but but that's not going to get you to a bowl. And, uh, Five it, wins isn't good enough. It will be interesting to see. I do wonder how my how will that will change the perspective of the Buffaloes. But again, all the more reason to jump while na- while you're wanted I'm right sure. now. Dion hasn't lost a game yet. Nope, have not. And there are some concerns uh, at times about the. Uh, I, I think it's a little early because obviously Sanders is tackling this differently. But the idea of the incoming 2024 class for Colorado being somewhere behind. Uh, where you might expect over uh, uh, the athletic look at this, uh, give me a real quick, quick thing about it before we go. I uh, talked about Deion Sanders recruiting. He said, sure, scored notable wins, including Dylan Edwards and Karani McLean in this cycle. But the Buffaloes have a decent average player rating, but only eight full commitments for 2024. And three of those, only three of those players are blue chip prospects. They've been involved with higher caliber prospects in the past. But Sanders and staff haven't been closing too often. Not a lot of buzz about the bus this summer. And there wasn't the big recruiting weekend that we take at many other programs. Prospects have seemingly taken a wait-and-see approach. As Sanders prepares for his first season in Boulder, it's conceivable the bus start one and four this season. And that would be more difficult to sell the vision without positive on-field results. Now they go on to say correctly. So would it be a shocker if Sanders put late surprises closer to the early signing period? No. But Colorado doesn't seem at the moment as if they're well-positioned enough with enough elite players to put together the high-profile class many expected. And that's a tough reality for a program that needs a major infusion of talent. I don't have a problem with that assessment. Now, I think Sanders is approaching it differently, but then again, you might not be able to raid the transfer portal a second year in a row. And the 20 refers to incoming freshman recruits. Considered the smallest part of what he's concerned about. And and, and 40-40-20 being sustainable, I doubt it. We'll see. We will see. They made the right move, though. Uh, you know, everyone else is now scrambling for position, and the Buffs at least know exactly where they're going to be. So that's a good sign. I will have an update reach camp as well. We'll have an opportunity to talk about that with our friend Justin Adams, a former Buffalo and now anchor at uh, CBS News, on Friday about that as well. 
We're going to head out. It's been obviously a lot of fun talking with you. The Broncos are getting busy as the preseason gets closer and closer for the Broncos. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth for putting everything together. Thanks to you, of course, for listening, whether you're doing it over the air, whether you're on MyLifeSports.com or even on the best possible option, the free Sports app, where you get all of our programming crystal clear when you want it, the stuff you missed, and all the terrific reporting from folks like Cody Rourke, obviously, and even Drew Creaseman, who we've had on talking about the Rockies. Hey, somebody's got to cover them. We stay on top of everything, every team, every day. That's what we do right here on Mile High Sports. We'll be back at it tomorrow as well. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Thanks for listening, and keep it right here to Mile High Sports. It's always the same. It's just a-